Okay, what are we going to talk about over the next four sessions, tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow, and Sunday? Um, I want to look at the attributes of God. If you remember the, the 2018 when I spoke at this conference, we looked at who God was. If you remember, some of the people have been talking to me about that since I've come back, who God is, who Jesus was, who the Holy Spirit was. That's what we looked at. I came back and spoke at the Firefighters for Christ part in 19, and we looked at the kingdom of God and seeking God's kingdom first, if you remember. Well, we're going to carry on the theme this year, and we're going to look at four attributes of God. And tonight, we're going to look at the sovereignty of God. Okay, now, like me, you probably have heard that phrase so many times over the last two years. Would you, would you all agree with that? We probably have used that phrase endlessly over the last two years, over all of our lives, but what actually does it mean? And what should it mean for us? And that's what I really want to look at. And again, if you uh, have been here when I've taught before, you know that you're going to get challenged over the next four sessions. And, that, and what's the point in me coming the whole way from Ireland if I'm not going to challenge you? And so that's what we're going to do. Um, but first and foremost, I always like to challenge this direction. And, and, and the older that I get, uh, the more I teach. And that's as since I've retired. I do this a bit more often now. And this is what I like to do. And this is what I feel God has called me to do. But uh, the, 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 the longer I'm on the road, the less actually I feel worthy of standing on this side of the platform. But God has given me a job to do. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at the sovereignty of God. I want to just, in this first session, sort of uh, just point out that I have used a couple of good books for this. I always like to recommend books when I'm teaching. A.W. Tozer has two books on the attributes of God. Some of you may be familiar with them. The first one that I've used over these four sessions is The Attributes of God, Volume 1. And the second one that I've used is The Attributes of God, Volume... Anybody want to guess? <laughs> two. Okay, uh, so they're good books. They're available on Amazon. Uh, if you're interested, after I teach you, there's 20 attributes in the two books, 10 in each book. I'm just looking at four of them. We will refer to some of the other ones as we go through. Okay, so one verse that just jumps out at me as a sort of catch-all for the weekend is Romans 1.20. It's a great verse. I, I, I'll mostly use the ESV this weekend as well. Um, if I refer to other versions, I'll try to remember to tell you that I'm using a different version. You can look this up if you wish. Romans 1.20, it's a great verse, and it actually talks about the attributes of God. So this is really just a catch-all by way of introduction. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and there's the first reference to power. Where's Frank? I don't need any cheek from you this year regarding the word power. All right? For those that aren't familiar, the word power is not a golf thing. It is power. Okay, P-O-W-E-R. So let's just get it out of the way right now so that there's no confusion over the next four sessions. Okay, are we all right with that? Good. Okay. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Effectively, what that verse means is that even if people were not to be told about God, that if they can see the created world, they're actually without excuse because the created world shows us the invisible attributes, God's eternal power and his divine nature just by looking 
out through those doors. Now, we're in a wonderful, beautiful part of the world here, aren't we? It is gorgeous. And whenever we look at that, how can you ever believe that somehow that was vomited up onto a beach, for example? And you'll know from my teaching before, I'm not going to hit and miss when I talk about certain things this weekend, and we'll get on to that as we go through. And so that's really just a, 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 an encapsulation of the attributes of God, that introduction verse. But whenever, whenever we're looking at sovereignty tonight, our text verse will be Deuteronomy 4, 39. And what Deuteronomy 4, 39 says is that, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other, okay? And so, to say that God is sovereign is to say that God is supreme over all things. So whenever we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're actually talking about the supremacy of God, and in layman terms, that God is in control. Now, if I was to ask for a show of hands as to who thinks God's in control, I would expect 100% of people to put their hands up in here. But if I was to say, whenever we're facing the difficult situations of our lives, can we really say that we believe that God is in control? And that's what we're going to challenge tonight, is to get these thoughts from our head down into our hearts. And the question then, in light of that, and I want to challenge you, is, and the question is, is God in control of all things? I just want you to ponder that just for a second. Is God in control of all things? Now, let me give you an illustration. I remember back to March of 2020. We all probably remember March of 2020. Do you remember that? Whenever the world shut down in the space of about a week. Yeah, remember that? And, I remember, and do you remember the church went online? And uh, I remember that first Sunday uh, watching uh, church online, and I, I watched a church that wasn't mine. I'm not going to name the church, not going to name the pastor no issue with the, the, with the pastor, but he just made a comment right at the start of COVID, and it just got me thinking. And the comment that he made that first Sunday, whenever people weren't, really weren't sure what was going to happen, did we ever think that it was going to be two years back then, and probably longer for other parts of the world? Thank God your country and mine seems to be coming out of the other side of it, but that's not true for everywhere. But this guy got up and he was preaching and here's the phrase that he used and I might be getting this slightly wrong but it doesn't matter. This is roughly what he said. He said in relation to COVID, he said God did not do this. Now, I might challenge your thinking here a little bit, all right? Now, I remember whenever he said God did not do this, I remember thinking, really? Now, I might be challenging you but I want to sort of just dive into this and I'm not going to burst your bubble potentially if you think that that is a statement that's wrong for me to even think about questioning. But let me give you some examples. What about Job in the Bible? We all know the story of Job, and we know that in chapter one and chapter two of Job, we know that actually it was God who said to Satan. And if you actually look at the interpretation of the Hebrew language, actually God said to Satan, have you set your heart upon my servant Job? God set Job up. Let's just call it what it is. Because you remember that uh, Satan said to God, sure, I can't, your heads of protection is around him. God said, very well, but don't take his life, yeah? And then the second chapter was, don't kill him, but you can have a go at him. And look, I'm just making the point here is that God was firmly in control of the story of Job. Is that, would you all agree with that? Yeah? What about Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Similar things, plagues, if you remember, yeah? 
And if you read through the text of that in Scripture, whenever that happened, it actually tells us in the Bible that it was God who hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Would you all agree with that? Yeah? God who hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and that made life very difficult for the Israelites at the time because he took straw away from them, and he knew how things got really, really difficult for them. No, the the Israelites didn't succumb to the plagues, but the fact was that life got very difficult for them, and it was God who sent the plagues. We all agree with that so far? Good. What about King Saul? King Saul is a very interesting one. King Saul, if you remember, he needed soothing music whenever he got depressed, if you remember, and that young David came and played the harp. And it's interesting, and, go, and this, I'm just going to read this straight from the Bible, 1 Samuel 16, 14, and you may not have seen this before, and it may shock you that this is in the Bible, and it's in it more than once, by the way, but 1 Samuel 16, 14 says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. NIV, King James says, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, I will not get into the theology of that verse because we could be here half the night talking about that verse. I'm just pointing out the fact that God, in my view, is in control of all things. And actually, we should see that, what I'm saying here, as a very positive thing. That's went quiet. (laughs) We should see it as a very positive thing. Don't worry, we're going to explain all of this. Don't be panicking. God is supreme. God is superior in every way. And here's what a guy called A.W. Pink says. Anybody heard of a guy called A.W. Pink? A.W. Pink was around about 100 years ago. He wrote a book on the sovereignty of God. Uh, I never met him, but I think Pat did. (laughs) And here's what A.W. Pink says about the sovereignty or the supremacy of God. God's supremacy over the works of his hands is vividly depicted in Scripture. At his pleasure, the Red Sea divided and its waters stood up as walls, Exodus 14. I've put the the Scripture references in here that wasn't part of the quote. Um, At his pleasure, the Red Sea divided and its waters stood up as walls, Exodus 14. And the earth opened up her mouth and guilty rebels went down alive into the pit, Numbers 14. When he so ordered, the sun stood still, Joshua 10. And on another occasion, went backward 10 degrees on the dial of Ahaz, Isaiah 38. To exemplify his supremacy, he made ravens carry food to Elijah, 1 Kings 17. Iron to swim on top of the water, 2 Kings 6 and 5. Lions to be tamed when Daniel was cast into their den, Daniel chapter 6. Fire to burn not when the three Hebrews were flung into its flames, Daniel chapter 3. Thus, whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deep Places, Psalm 135, verse 6. Can I get an amen? amen. Who, so, sorry, whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and on earth and the seas and all deep places. God is in absolute control. Now, that, I'm shocked that you're not a little bit more vocal about that thought because God is in absolute control. There is no one greater than God. There is nothing that God has not foreseen and nothing that God has not planned or planned for. It's just simply not the case that God's scratching his head in heaven. Come on, can you conceive of that? But yet whenever we live our lives, very often our lives reflect the thought that we're thinking that God somehow has lost control of the world. Has God lost control of anything? 
Absolutely not. My God is in control of all things, no matter what it is that we think is going on out there. And this current economic squeeze, and it's not going to get any easier. The American dream is gone. Is that a shock to you? It is. And I'm not here to get into all the politics of that, but I'm just saying that isn't it amazing how whenever things get tough that the remnant actually gets serious? Now, are we part of the remnant or are we carnal Christians? There's a question for you. Are we part of that? Do we want to accept and believe that God's in control even if it sort of stretches our thinking a little bit? Even if we struggle with the idea of what might be happening, because if we think for one second that God is not in control, then God is not who we suggest that God is. Yeah? And whenever we somehow balance the thing with the devil being somehow up there fighting with God, that's ridiculous. It is. And I'll come back to that just in case you do think that. God's sovereignty implies his absolute freedom to do all that he wills to do. And that's important because God cannot lie, for example. So yes, surprisingly, there's things that God cannot do. One of them is that God cannot lie. Why? Because that would be against God's will for him to lie. I'm stating the obvious now, but I'm just, I'm getting somewhere. God cannot break a promise. Why? Because it would be against his nature and violate his nature and therefore would be against his will to break a promise. God could not create a rock too heavy for him to lift. Now that might sound that I'm being ridiculous here, but I'm trying to make a point. Yeah? Because there's things that God cannot do, not because God cannot do them, but because it's against the will of God for God to do those things. God has complete freedom to do as God pleases. Always, now, and forever, there is no one who can compel, there is no one who can hinder, and there is no one who can stop God. Now, I, for one, I'm excited about that thought. My goodness, it's a hard crowd this year, Jason. This is tough going. Do I need to show you the socks again? Come on. Have you been eating all the food that they've been feeding you down there? You're all in their postcard, I don't know, slumber? Are you? I've been trying to cut down. I've been eating burgers since I got here last Friday. I got here last Friday, and the first place Joe and Melinda took me to was in and out Burger. And whenever I realized that they didn't do salads... I succumbed and had a burger, much against my will, double-double animal style. And let me tell you this, particularly after a long, long, long flight, whenever that double-double animal style hits your stomach and creates some extra gas that you've already got from the plane, trust me, you feel like you're the yawn size with all the gas you're trying to hold in. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I should stop talking, shouldn't I? <laughs> I just, it is a problem. I don't know, anybody took a 12-hour flight and then went straight for a double-double animal style? Big Bolty, have you done that? You look like you're still full of gas, big lad. <laughs> Michael Bolton, do you know him? Yeah, you do. I trained. I had the privilege of being the course director for that young man about 100 years ago, whatever length of time ago it was, and I used to every morning, and I'm sure he wanted to punch me right between the eyes, but every morning when I inspected Mr. Bolton, I said, Mr. Bolton, give me a song. (laughs) 
and it never happened. He was polite. No, sir, I don't sing, sir. Well, why are you called Michael Bolton then? <laughs> and for 17 weeks, he never sang me a song. Would you like to come up and sing me a song now, Michael Bolton? No? <laughs> and because of his sovereignty, we, have, we as Christians should be restful and peaceful in this world of crisis that we live in. We should be. This pandemic that we hopefully are coming out of shouldn't worry us. It shouldn't phase us. It shouldn't matter what it is that we're looking down the barrel of. We, as Christians, if we believe in a sovereign God, we should actually live differently than the rest of the world. Whenever we're facing a health crisis or any kind of crisis, and it doesn't mean that we can't bring those things to God, but whenever we're facing a crisis, we should actually be different than the world out there. And the world should see how we're different. And the world should see that we're not panicking and stressing about all of these things that everybody else is. And I'm not saying that I don't. I'm just saying that that's the way that it should be. Yeah? And we all know how difficult it has been, and I'm not minimizing that fact, but I'm just saying is that there is not a single thing will harm me at all unless God says so. Because God is in absolute control. It's not this battle that's going on between God and the devil. Yes, the devil's fighting with the angels, and the devil's fighting with the archangels, and the devil's fighting with you and me, but it's simply not true to believe that the devil is fighting with God. Because if the devil is actually fighting with God, then God isn't God. God is not divine. God is not uh, holy and powerful if somehow he's having to struggle to fight the devil each and every day. It's ridiculous even to think about it, but yet we live our lives like that sometimes, don't we? This pandemic shouldn't worry us. It shouldn't faze us. We should know that nothing can or will happen without the knowledge and the permission of God. Guess what? Simply this. Satan is not free to wreak havoc on you. Yeah, let me say it again. Satan is simply not free to wreak havoc on you and I as believers. It's just not the case. Now, if you and I are going through some stuff, either we've made a bad decision or God's actually allowing us or actually taking us through bad stuff. And see this modern day theology nonsense that you become a Christian and nothing goes wrong in your life. What rubbish. I'm telling you, the amount of televisions I've nearly put my foot through watching that garbage on the religious channels. It's rubbish. If you're in here tonight and somehow you think that you're coming to Christ and your life's gonna be a bed of roses, that's not the Bible that I read. Has anybody read the book of James? I think he was on drugs when he wrote it. <laughs> Honest to goodness, what's his opening sentence? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of every kind. Come on, James. Wise up. <laughs> he was the brother of Christ. I, I believe it was that James who wrote that book. He wasn't saved whenever Jesus died either. There's an interesting thought. He was one of the big guys in the, the New Testament church. You know that Martin Luther didn't want the book of James in the Bible? Did you know, anybody know that in the room? They called it a stroy epistle. I think James should be there. It's it's a book on godliness. If you want to know how to live as a Christian, open the book of James. There's, there's, a, there's, a, wee side, there's a wee tip for free, all right? If you want to know how to live your life as a Christian, go and read James chapter 1 to 5 tonight. Yeah, and I'm telling you, read it with a meditative heart, and you might live life a little bit differently whenever you read it. 
Satan's simply not free to wreak havoc on whoever he pleases. Satan is subject to God. Nothing will take God by surprise. God's not having to constantly check and tweak his plan based on your decisions, based on others' decisions, based on the devil's decisions. It's just simply not the case where God's getting up each day and he's saying, right, okay, Phil Scott, what did he do yesterday? Oh my word, not again. Right, I have to change the plan again. He's wrote my plan in pencil time and time again. No. Do you think, like, I know I'm being ridiculous here, but do you see the point that I'm making? Because we live our lives like God changing his plan constantly. God knew you. Your days were numbered from before you were born. God wrote it down at the start of the foundation of the world. And yet we live our lives somehow panicking and stressing because of what's going on out through those doors. And I'm not saying that things don't go wrong, but if they go wrong, they're going wrong for a reason. And you might as well just decide to realize that that's okay because God's going to do it. And if he's doing it for our good, then it's actually a really good thing. I think you went to sleep again. <laughs> Theologians may change their mind. Bible teachers may change their mind. But guess what? God is the great I am. We're going to be looking at the I amness of God in the morning. I love teaching on the self-existence of God. We're doing that tomorrow morning. There's a wee taster for you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? God will never change. That means that he is immutable. There's another attribute. God will never change. He has always been there. He always will be there. To him, there is no start. To him, there is no end. His plans are perfect. And guess what? God will prevail. Yeah? And I think we should just jump on board. What do you reckon? Let's stop stressing. If I stress, is it changing anything? The only thing it's going to do is going to make you sick. It's going to give you anxiety. It's going to give you all sorts of things. And guess what? And again, I hate to say this, and I don't like being this type of a preacher, but I don't think things are getting any better. I really don't. In fact, I think they're going to get a whole lot worse. Because certainly my understanding whenever I study history is that that's usually when the church wakens up. Yeah? And I could talk you through my own country over centuries and the revivals that were there. And you guys know that in your own country here as well. I've studied the Azuzu Street Revival in the early 1900s down there in LA for those that know where that is. And I'm telling you right now is that that's usually how it works. And I know we maybe don't want to hear that. But I don't think things are going to get any better for us. But do you know what? That might be how the world sees things. Have you ever seen a confused place out there the way it is now? The wokeness and the cancel culture and all of that stuff. Does anybody know the truth anymore? But actually, you know, my observations is that people actually, I believe, will start looking to us for answers because nobody knows what the answer is any longer. Are you ready for the answer? Do you know your word? Do you know the word of God? Do you know what the answers are? Are you living your life in the way that you can answer them? God has all authority and all power. Good. I'm glad Frank's being good tonight. God has all authority and God has all power. Can you conceive of a God without either? He has limitless and infinite amounts of both. Do you think God has to seek permission for anything? Who would God go to if he needed to get permission for anything? 
Do you think that there's some sort of a committee in heaven that has to decide where the next galaxy is going to go? What color it's going to be, etc., etc., etc.? Come on. Do you think that that's the case? This is the God that you and I serve. This is the God of all the universe who lives inside of you and inside of me. Does that not impress you even a little bit? This is a tough crowd. What has happened? Do we need to give everybody a milkshake? I think I deserve a milkshake. Although I might get into my wedding suit (laughs) after all the burgers I've been eating. No, no, no. There is no one greater than God. No, not one. Isaiah 44, 6 says that thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. God is the only creator. Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God created everything. Yeah? Everything that has been created above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth, God has created it all. So then, let's ask the tough question. Let's ask the tough question. What about free will? Mm. Who was doing that? Mm. Because if I talk about the sovereignty of God, I need to explain how free will works. Yeah? Okay. Does somebody else want to come up and explain how the free will of God (laughs) works inside of the sovereignty of God? So if God is sovereign, what about man's free will? Is there a tension? Now, some people, theologically, don't believe in free will. A.W. Pink the guy that I referred to earlier on did not believe in free will. Now, I do believe in free will. Let me get that out there just straight away so that you don't stop listening, okay? But, what if, but if God is sovereign, how do we answer that question? Is there a tension? Or what about the problem of evil? Anybody studied, studied apologetics in the room, you'll have heard of the phrase, the problem of evil. The problem of evil is a straightforward one, is that why does a holy God allow bad things to happen? How many times have you been asked that question in your workplace, why does a holy God allow bad things to happen? And it's a difficult question to answer sometimes. Would you agree? Yeah. And so this problem of evil, or the Bible talks about the mystery of iniquity. The King James Version talks about this as the mystery of iniquity. The ESV talks about the mystery of lawlessness. And so 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7 says, for the mystery of lawlessness or the mystery of iniquity or my version, the problem of evil is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So what that is saying is that the Holy Spirit restrains evil. The Holy Spirit does not stop evil, but the Holy Spirit restrains evil. In other words, if the Holy Spirit was not restraining evil, think about how evil the world would be. Now, I know the world is pretty evil. Would you all agree with that? And the acts of gratuity and different types of evil. Now, I don't have time to get into discussing the problem of evil. It's a whole discussion in itself. Suffice to say that the Holy Spirit actually holds back how evil the world could be. 
And I thank God that the Holy Spirit holds it back. But the question still remains, why does God allow evil in the world? I don't completely understand that concept, but it's a fact. Would you agree that God allows evil? Because we see evil every day. You can see it probably getting worse and worse and worse each and every day. And there are acts of evil, there's moral evil, there's natural evil, there's all types of evil, and there's gratuitous evil. You know the type of evil that I'm talking about. And there's lots of evil acts going on across the world in the here and the now, and it's a fact that God allows evil. But guess what? God's plans took it into account. God knew everything from the foundation of the world. And guess what? God created all things, including Lucifer. Now, let me stretch you a little bit here. Do you think God made a mistake when he created Lucifer, who was the archangel, probably responsible for worship in heaven? Do you think that somehow God made a mistake? Do you think that Lucifer somehow went rogue and God went, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen? Because if that was the case, couldn't it happen again? When we all go to heaven, something goes bad? Come on. If we believe in a holy, supreme, and a sovereign God, we have to accept that God, when he created Lucifer, knew what he was doing. Yeah? Well then, there's a plan. God knew about sin. It does not, nor never will, change God's plans. God has provided a solution in Jesus Christ. There's a redemption plan. And you know what? I'm going to take a little bit more time tomorrow morning to talk about the redemption plan. But let me just plant that seed tonight. See, if you're here, you've come up this hill and you don't know Jesus as your own and personal Savior, it is my desire and every other Christian's desire in this room that you do not go down that hill without encountering Jesus Christ for yourself. Have a personal relationship with Him in this evil world that we live in. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond to the gospel message tomorrow morning. But what about this free will defense? There's a guy called Alvin Plantinga. Have you heard of Alvin Plantinga? Any of the Bible scholars in the room? No? He was born in 1932. The last time I checked, he was still alive. But with him being in 1932, I checked about six weeks ago, so six weeks ago he was still alive. I'm not being facetious when I say that. He was whenever I checked that. And he came up with what was known as the free will defense. And he was an apologist. He was, a, he was a philosopher, a theologian. And he came up with what was known as the free will defense. And here's what Plantinga says about the free will defense. And then we're making an assumption here that God does give men free will. Now, I know there are those who don't, as I've already said, but I do believe that God gives us a free will, both before we're saved and after we're saved. The simple thing about those of us who are in the church is that the Bible tells us that you and I will give an account for everything that we have done whilst in the body, whether good or bad. So that suggests that I have a free will to live as a carnal Christian, or I have a free will to be sold out for God. And so I believe in a free will. So here's what Platinga says about the free will defense. He says, God cannot create beings with free will that would never choose to do evil. God can create free creatures, but he can't cause or determine them to do only what is right. For if he does so, then they aren't significantly free after all. In other words, if God creates human beings with a free will and only allows them to do right, 
then they actually are not free at all. So it goes against the creative, uh, the creation of God in the first place. How do we solve what that seemingly is a contradiction, seemingly, between sovereignty and free will? Here's what Tozer says about it. Tozer says that God Almighty is sovereign, uh, free to do as he pleases. And among the things that he is pleased to do is to give me freedom to do what I please. And when I do what I please, I am fulfilling the will of God, not controverting it. For God in his sovereignty has sovereignly given me freedom to make a choice. Now, I know there's a lot, of, a lot of words there. But hopefully you're getting the idea is that if God creates us as free beings and doesn't allow us to actually make a bad choice, that then we're not actually created as free beings, so therefore controverting the creation of God in the first place. That's basically what the two of them are saying. But also we know from 1 Thessalonians that we read there from the start, 2 Thessalonians 2, is that the Holy Spirit restrains evil. We also know that if God is in control of all things, God absolutely stops a lot of evil. How many times do you think you've been out and about and God has protected you? Hands up. How many times whenever you've come across a roadblock and you get cross about the roadblock, is it possible that God knew that there was something further up the road that he wanted to stop you getting to? That the devil had something planned for you? Is that a possibility? Whenever I get stuck behind cyclists where I live, oh my word. The worst thing for me in COVID, middle-aged men in Lycra. Hands up if you're a mammal. <laughs> Anybody going to admit to it that you bought a bike and bought liquor that doesn't fit you? You've packed everything inside it. Yeah? You've got on a bike. The bike's disappeared somewhere. <laughs> Back where I come from, the roads are like yawn big to start with. Yeah? And these cyclists, for some reason, think that they need to ride four abreast. <laughs> the Irish guys in the room know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's so frustrating. I have to say, whenever I come across something like that, I have to question my Christianity every time. <laughs> Honestly. Because that frustrates the life out of me. Anybody, I don't know, is there narrow roads anywhere else in the world other than where I come from? Not that narrow? Why can't, they ring, why can't they ride single file? Although to be fair, when you see the size of some of them, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. What am I talking about? <laughs> Tozer. Tozer gives an example or a good analogy for this because it's hard to get your head around sometimes. And Tozer gives an example of a ship traveling from New York to Liverpool to explain this concept. And here's what he says. He says, the port that we leave is birth. The port that we end up at is death. And in between, you and I can make choices on that ship. Yeah? But guess what? You're still going to arrive at the uh, destination port. Simple. So we leave a port. We end up at a port. And you may get to make some choices whilst you're on the boat. But guess what? Appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. And so whenever we think that somehow all of what we do somehow changes the plans of God, it does not. And I actually see this as a very, very positive thing, believe it or not. Because if we can actually take a step back and realize that God is in control of all things, 
even whilst you make a bad choice, because guess what? God knew before time began that you make, might make a bad choice. God's plans already took it into account. God's plans is going to happen, you know. Yeah? God's plans are going to happen. Yes, we might have a choice to make good decisions or bad decisions. I actually believe that that actually becomes more apparent whenever we're preparing for an eternal kingdom, by the way. I believe that it's actually more important whenever we get to the saved place. Because the Bible's clear about that one. It's clear that I can make a bad choice. It's clear that I can choose carnality. It's, it's clear that I can choose to live in the flesh as a believer. But it's also clear that I can be sold out for God. D.L. Moody once said, in fact, he, he said it, but it was a young English pastor who said it first. But D.L. Moody made this statement famous. He says, this world is yet to see one man sold out for God. Please, God, let me be that man. And see this weekend, can we say, this world is yet to see one man or woman sold out for God. Please, God, let us be that person. Please, God. Can we forget about the American dream? I'm not having to go about the American dream. I spoke about this on Sunday at Joe's church. The American dream, believe it or not, is alive and well in my country as well. You guys just coined the phrase. If you catch the cold, we start sneezing. <laughs> That's just how it works, unfortunately. Albeit, there only is two types of people in the world. You ready for this? Those who are Irish and those who want to be. <laughs> Don't laugh, because it's true. <laughs> Come on. Will you agree with me? Yeah. Of course you will. Okay. The port we leave is birth. The death is the other port. And in between you and I make some choices. Guess what? We're going to answer for what we've done when we get there. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, we're going to answer both sides of that. Is that a shock to you? For those in the room that are saved, do you know that you're going to answer for what you did with God? At the bema seat of Christ, you and I are going to be judged as well. Our sins are forgiven, that's covered. But what we've done for God, we're going to have to give an answer for it. Yes, you may have a measure of freedom down here on earth, but guess what? God's plan will still come to pass, and you and I will be held accountable to the sovereign will of God Almighty. God already knows your decisions. God already knows your actions. But I believe, actually, that you and I still have to make a choice. I believe, first and foremost, that we can make a choice as to whether we're going to follow God or not. And then whenever we have decided to follow God, I actually believe we can make a choice as to how we're going to follow God, as to what we're going to do. There's a verse in Joshua 24, 15. The verse in Joshua 24, 15 says that if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say, like I've said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that? You know, I want to just, I just want to pray for everybody here, we're just really getting into this. Tomorrow morning, next three sessions, we'll be looking at other attributes of God. But I want us to realize something tonight. And this is why we started with this tonight. No matter what you're facing, and I'm not 
running down what you're facing. I can imagine in a room this size, there are people facing some pretty big things. There's some pretty big giants in this room. And I'm not mocking that. I promise you I'm not. And we can pray, and I'm going to pray. And Hume staff and Firefighters of Christ staff, we can pray if you, you know who to go to and talk to if you want prayer for anything. But can I please encourage you by letting you know that God is in control of all things. He is. And even if you've made a bad choice, and I feel I need to say this, there's people in here, and you maybe did make a bad choice, and somehow you think you're finished. I've asked for a show of hands there, I would imagine there'd be a lot of hands going up across the room. Yeah? Do you think God, in his sovereignty, didn't know what choice you were going to make? Don't listen to the devil, because he is a liar and the father of lies. The fact that you're sitting in this room tonight, God has not finished with you yet. And are we going to be the people of God that stand up? Are we going to be the people of God who speak up? Are we going to be the people of God who challenge, challenges the stuff that we face on an everyday basis? And so I'm not going to say anything more than that tonight, other than that I'd like to pray. And so please stand with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, you can pray along with me. You can pray unto yourself. You can even pray out loud. I don't, God can make sense of it, by the way. Heavenly Father, I love you. Heavenly Father, I know no matter what each day brings that you are in control. There is nothing happening in this world today that is taking you by surprise. And Lord, I know that you're actually bringing us to the place where we need to be on our knees before you, committed to you, wanting to serve you, and wanting to reach this world for you. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that if people in this room tonight, and I have no doubt that people are facing all sorts of difficult circumstances, but I also know that the Bible and the walk of, the Christian walk is actually a walk of suffering, a walk of sacrifice, and a walk of submission. And Lord, I know that you will give people strength to face what it is that they are facing. Lord, if it's healing that people need, I pray, Lord, that people will be healed right across this building right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, if it's an economic miracle or financial miracle, that too, Lord God. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that if you are tugging on the hearts of people right across this room tonight, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will convict people right now to do the thing that they've been asked to do. And Lord, I have no doubt that people have been asked to serve. And Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that they will do it. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness when we doubt you. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness when we are fearful of what it is that we may face. And Lord, just help us to stand firm in the faith that you have given us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we go through this weekend, Lord, I just pray that people will really meet you up this mountain this weekend. 
Lord, I also pray that if there are people within this room who do not yet know you as their own personal Savior, or if there's people within this room who are cold and carnal and need to be revived, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will convict so hard because it is your word, Lord, and not mine, that the Holy Spirit will do an amazing work this weekend. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.